What is going on, everybody? It is Gage and Brock, and uh, you're listening in to a Tiefling Talks podcast. Hope everybody's been having a good day. Here to talk some more shit. Of course, as always. Um, so I guess we're going to be starting this off with uh, kind of a live kind of uh, reaction or review to the uh, Unearth Arcana uh, Heroes of Kern Revisited. Um, little snippet they got going on here, kind of reading over some of the stuff. Uh, so let me go ahead and do this. Should pop it up onto uh, kind of the overlay uh, for the video side of things. But, uh, you know, we're going to give this a little look through and kind of um, briefly go through some of this. Um, not going to read through the whole thing, like word for word, but just kind of skimming over it. Um, do, do, do. Um, buh, buh. Player's handbook offers a list of options. free to add or move for the particular campaign. So, what does that mean? Languages like um, is like the DM adding its own languages and stuff to to the Kender race. Um, this is actually before the Kender race. This is just the um, the character creation options they include in front of most Unearthed Arcana PDFs, where it just goes over the the basic uh, character traits that you include, like your ability scores, um, your languages, your creature type as well. Um, gotcha. Which there's Fey, there's I believe plasmoids are ooze. I don't remember, and then satyrs are Fey, not humanoid. So there's some variation. They're getting better about that, whereas everything used to be humanoid. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and then scrolling down here, I do see Kender coming into view. Um, the mythical origins of Kern, Ryuk's god of craft, indulge in an age of unfettered creation. Um, but none among them refine remains god of creation. Hmm. Okay. All right diminutive humanoids that look like humans with pointed ears and diverse appearances supernatural curiosity that drives them to adventure due to this inquisitiveness many kinder find themselves falling through portals to other planes and worlds oh okay yeah so this sounds like it's a it's a drop-in for basically anything because of that like uh dropping through portals a little right. bit that they've got going there kind of reminds it, me of the uh Gensi, uh yeah the ganasi ganasi yep um uh, yeah them and it sounds like their looks are going to be quite similar to like halflings and have elves um right being on the shorter side not they're usually not quite small they're still considered medium but having the the smaller size the pointed ears still being considered humanoid it's very well possible that they could be mistaken for other races if you wanted to drop them in and build a mystery around them Honestly, it kind of reminds me of uh, goblins, but not the kind of green little goblins that D&D is known for. The kind from like Harry Potter with the pointed ears that work at yeah, Gringotts. Yeah. Okay. I can picture that. That's what they kind of remind me of. Um, you know, uh, high magic, very magical beings, very like smart and clever um, beings in short. Um. All right, let's see here. Kender traits. We got creature type. You're humanoid. Size. You are small. Okay. You're, ooh, you got this. You're considered small, but you still have a walking speed of 30 feet. 
right, which is different from even medium creatures like uh, halflings having the 25 feet. Right. Um, you're immune to the frightened condition right off the bat. That's already good. Um, Kinder Curiosity, thanks to the mythical origins of your people, you gain proficiency with one of the following skills of your choice. Um, Insight, Investigation, Sight of Hand, Stealth, or Survival. Could be a very good pick for people wanting to run the Rogue class. Yeah, or even um, just like campaigns that have a little more realism to them or have more encounters per day. Having that uh, survival and that investigation could allow you to have like a, a safer camp or look for food, stuff like that. Right, yeah, and um, even Insight, you know, all these are really good picks for your skill choices, so that's not bad yeah um taunt you have an extraordinary ability to fluster creatures as a bonus action you can unleash a string of provoking words at a creature within 60 feet of you that you can hear and understand you the target must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or it has a disadvantage on attack rolls against targets other than you until the start of your next turn okay um that's um instantly pretty good it kind of is a nice like uh deviation from like vicious mockery um and it's kind of like a um kind of like a vicious mockery in flavor sense but in um practical sense it's much more akin to um i oh, man what's that spell i'm trying to think of that uh gives disadvantage I'm looking it up right now it's a paladin spell um i think it's like it's compelled duel that's what it is yep yeah yeah, that's exactly what came to mind to me, is you're replacing a first-level spell, and you can use this bonus action up to your proficiency bonus times and are regained upon finishing a long rest. So right off the bat, you can do this twice, just like your full casters would be able to. And that's 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 pretty good, and this is all just from the Kender um, race. This isn't even like a class selection. Yeah, and if you pair that with some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit, I'm seeing that there's some potential for some really strong, like level one through four characters, just with these new abilities that, and the extra feats that they're granting. Oh, I'm definitely interested to hear your uh, thoughts on how to maximize the uh, the uh, playability of this optimization. Yeah. That's one thing that optimization, like it's all good on paper, but as soon as you get in combat. And enemies just start running around you or appearing from the sides and attacking your backline. You can be as tanky as you want, but if somebody runs around and hits the 6 HP level 1 wizard, they're not doing well. You're not tanking well enough. Right, you know, you, the whole point is to draw the enemy to you and um, hold them there while the rest of your team just kind of deals some damage from a distance or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. This seems like a really good way to... It's not going to be very consistent because if you're building a marshal, you're probably not focusing much into your mental scores, more your physicals. But I mean, eight plus two plus even if you have like a plus one in one of your mental stats, that's still a save of 11. That's above average at level one. Right. Um, let's see here. The Dragon Lance backgrounds now. Uh, two backgrounds for characters from the world of Kern. So keep in mind, backgrounds are typically um, something that may give you like an extra language or something like that, um, but they kind of um, give a overarching feel for your character. So they're not supposed to have too much sway, but enough to kind of give you like that little extra something um, 
So let's see what we got here. Um, Dragonlance backgrounds, bonus feats, whatever background you choose for your War of the Lance character. You gain bonus feats as detailed below. Uh, characters involved in conflict are forced and changed by their experience. What? These are the way that I'm seeing this, at least, is this is like you're dropping into a much like more war hardened world where even like just beginning adventures, they've gone through so much to the point where they they need these extra abilities. Like it's just going to be a more difficult setting. So instead of these rules applying to any game that you go to, as much fun as that would be, I feel it's very situational whether your DM chooses to use these bonus feats. Gotcha. Yeah, no, this would be something like if you're dropped into a Dark Souls level uh, type of world, then, you know, they probably drop these in here to give you a little bit of a chance. Yeah, and a little bit of a chance when you're pulling. Well, I'll let us read to that part, but yeah. A lot of bit of a chance. Right. Uh, first level bonus feat. If you select the Knights of Summer, a mage of high sorcery, you gain the bonus feat specified in the background. Background you choose doesn't provide a feat. You gain a bonus feat of your choice from the following list. Divinely favored, skilled, tough. Um, actually, right off the bat, uh, those first levels are pretty good. Uh, skilled is a nice one to have, and so it's tough, um, especially if you get to choose them at first level. Yeah, tough on like your level one barbarian. If you're raging and you double your effective HP, uh, you're gaining an extra four HP at level one, where four HP could be your entire wizard at level one if they have like no con modifier or yeah. a negative con, which is common. Um, skilled is absolutely good. That's more for out of combat stuff where you could pick up like a stealth and insight of persuasion. Right. something to affect your rp uh, yeah. let's let's scroll ahead a little and see what divinely favored does because if i remember correctly that would be um you one of gain... the new ones yes that is uh, uh okay uh, you learn one cantrip of your choice from the cleric spell list and one or one first level spell based on the alignment of your character as specified in the alignments table below you also learn the augury spell you can cast the chosen first level spell and the augury spell without a without a spell slot, and you must finish a long rest before you can cast either of these spells this way again. You can also cast these spells using spell slots you have of the appropriate level. You get to choose your spell casting ability for this. Oh. So immediately this um this is Fey Touch. That's what this sounds like to me, is just a better version of Fey Touched. Yeah. Because augury in itself is a good early divination spell. But when you're able to pull a cantrip from the cleric's list, so you can pull guidance, mending, message, or offensive stuff like firebolt. I believe frostbolt is on there as well. Um, but then you're able to pull, if you're evil, a first level warlock spell, which you can get armor of agathis, hex, those are really the two standout options for me. Clerics, you can get, um, let's see, Cure Wounds, Healing Word, Gift of Alacrity, maybe, I think. Um, but Druid, in my opinion, is the favorite. Because as a feat, at first level for free, you get this. You can pick Goodberry, and your party never has food problems again. 
Oh, yeah, without an issue, you know, you instantly negate that kind of survival challenge of making sure you always got rations, because as long as you're playing a normal game where the max party size is six, you know, you create, what, ten good berries, I think it is? Yes, up to ten good berries. Yeah, so you're just, you're good to go um, and without much uh, issue there. That's yeah, pretty good. I'm another thing i see is if you end up actually do going like a wizard or a sorcerer or a warlock even you're able to because it specifies your spellcasting ability for these feet spells you get to choose when you pick the feet so you can get a healing word or a cure wounds that's based on your intelligence modifier or your charisma modifier so you can be a wizard that can now effectively heal with cure wounds as well because you don't only have to cast it at first level you can upcast and for a third level spell be healing for 3d8 plus 5 or something if you have your intelligence maxed. Right, right. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, what is this auger spell? Let's pull up the description so we can read that. Uh... It to do. It's actually a second level spell. Um, by cast or by casting gem inlaid sticks, rolling dragon bones, lay out ornate cards, or employing some other divining tool, you can receive an omen from an otherworldly entity about results of a specific course of action you plan to take within the next thirty minutes. The DM chooses one of the following omens: wheel for good results, woe for bad results, wheel and woe for both good and bad results, or nothing for results that aren't especially good or bad. Spell doesn't take into account any outside circumstances that may change the outcome. If you cast the spell two or more times before com or completing a long rest, there's a 25% chance for each casting to just make a random uh, hmm. outcome. This is actually really cool. Um, yeah. I, I like this spell just because of the fact that, um, you know, uh, I personally, in my campaigns, use uh, something that I allow my players to use, which is a talk to God check. And, you know, you roll religion and, you know, you can kind of ask God, and which is the DM, and you kind of get some sort of hint to help you with the puzzle or wherever you're at, uh, kind of give you guys a course of action to go on. Um, so this would be a great, like, alternative um, to be able to kind of give them, like, these scrolls of, um, I don't even know how to pronounce it, auguri. Augury. Augury. Yep. And um, basically, they'd be able to use them. Um, and, you know, they'd have a set number of them, so they'd have to use them wisely, but they could use them to kind of get uh, a little help or a little bit of a uh, kind of guidance. Yeah. Um, looking at the spell, though, in the feat, it doesn't specify that you can avoid uh, your material components. So maybe that's part of their, like, quest, or maybe they have one time use. Uh, components these gem inlaid sticks rolling dragon bones cards or other stuff like that maybe those are like little quest items that once they use the augury spell on there once per day that they burn up or something and they have to go find more right right definitely you know that i'm sure there's some way to work it into where you know they specifically get a set amount of these uh that they can use and um have to be smart with them um but yeah that's that's Right off the bat, that's for a background. This is insane. Yeah, when backgrounds used to do nothing, you would get like uh, a tool proficiency, maybe a vehicle, maybe a couple skills and a language. Right. This is up far and beyond, like way more than anybody should be getting. 
right and we're not even to the backgrounds that they included this is just like the general rules for their world right not uh no doubt and like that's that's what i'm afraid to get to because as i kind of look over here at fourth level bonus feats um you got the uh adepts and then you get right off the bat alert that's a fantastic skill that um, i believe everyone could benefit from yeah um plus that five to initiative no surprise right yeah that's incredible knight of the crown knight of the rose knight of the sword mobile feet amazing uh like i said if you're going with the rogue uh sentinel's also good for a rogue um good for your frontline tank fighter um and then warcaster all of these are great feats that you can get yeah um, the way i'm seeing this is you can have your fourth level fighter paladin barbarian you can have them be pulling the polar master and sentinel combination at fourth level without having to sacrifice and go like variant human to take one of your feats you can like take you can see. i think you can get like three feats at that point um at level four if you went with variant human if you didn't you could still get two by fourth level yeah variant human first level fourth level your first level one you're pulling I mean, the correct choice basically is divinely favored, but it really depends on what you want to do. Right. Um, but man, cleric spell list cantrips, like there's a lot of room for like adding spells to any marshal would help. But if you're pulling a polearm master from your variant human and you get sentinel at fourth level, and then at fourth level you're getting an ASI, you bump up like your strength or something to increase your accuracy with your pole arm. You're hitting at fourth level. So yeah, at fourth level is your proficiency bonus three or two? Uh I believe three. Um Yeah, so you're hitting I mean if you start with a sixteen strength, bump it up to eighteen with your uh fourth level ASI, then that's plus four, plus three from proficiency. So you're hitting plus seven for two attacks a turn, one with your action, one with your bonus, and your reaction to be able to just bop whatever's trying to run at you and okay. step back. Okay, so I looked it up. Level four, it's still a plus two. It's level five that it becomes a plus three. Sure. I mean, even at plus six still. Yeah. And oh, you yeah. have both your feats because that's the issue with the Sentinel Polar Master is it's strong right out of the gate. But as soon as you're like getting into these higher levels, you're really feeling not having those ASIs like other builds would. But right. this is just circumnavigating it entirely. Broken, broken, broken. Just perhaps. If, if you know, this is the type of world that uh, you allow this type of stuff to happen in. But, you know, if you're just going for a normal game, I definitely wouldn't recommend, unless you have played with this and you kind of are very comfortable with it in your worlds. Um, because, like I said, this can very much unbalance the party um, to where um, your encounters become a lot tougher to do because now all of a sudden you have this tank that's doing their job and pulling the enemies. However, it, it can work too well sometimes and cause you, uh, as a DM, some issues trying to get your smart or supposedly smart uh, little bad guys to run around some of the tanks and uh, head to the back line and hit them to kind of um, make the encounter a little bit more interesting. And so, uh, you know, this this really kind of, I don't want to say hinders that, but it, it makes it a lot harder to do as a DM. Yeah, it definitely makes it harder. It also lets later game 
people like the exponential casters that just take forever to start scaling it gives them this early boost. like buffer yeah boost for instance um so what i'm picturing right now is a blade singer that runs at first level or sorry as a race there's some kind of elf probably a high elf um for the intelligence boost and the plus two to dex and a little bit of magic from their racial traits as a background i don't know they can take basically anything um and then they get their tough feet at first level that offsets their d6 hit die at level one so they can be 9 10 hp depending on their con mod and then at fourth level they take the warcaster feet and now they can run out there and they can be either dual wielding or they can have a two-handed weapon which actually you can't use with blade singing so you can be dual wielding and you can be out there um just slapping things yeah just slapping things and you can still have your asis to put into intelligence dexterity to cover your ac and this is just the bonus feats this isn't even actually what the the backgrounds give you um right. So that's that's insane to uh, kind of put in there. I mean, if it's a heavy war torn world you're playing with, then yeah, this might work. And you know, it kind of gives your players the uh, chance to kind of um, see this and go with it. But um, you know, for any normal adventure, definitely modules. I would not um, allow this because you know, modules uh, are very kind of cut and dry to a certain way. So you know, this this would kind of op some people in. Uh, the module setting yeah i would definitely leave this um leave this as ua please don't publish it the way it is because as soon as it's published and people start taking this as their plus one in uh or like if this gets published and they start taking it as their plus one into adventures league games and suddenly they're three feet ahead of their entire tier one tier two party right welcome to problems yeah and it becomes really unbalanced really quickly. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's cool. From a from a player's aspect, this would be like, oh, my God, I hope my DM lets me do this. Then I become this uh, ultimate powerhouse, you know. Um, but uh, from a DM standpoint and from, like, an outside perspective, this is definitely something cool to play with as on the side and kind of theory craft with. But it is definitely something very, very broken and something that can be taken um heavy advantage of i should say yeah fun to play with not to eat right let's uh all right we spent quite enough time on uh just this like three or four paragraphs let's move on yeah so the knights of solemn solomnia that's um eerily close to salami so all right the knight of salami trained <laughs> to be a valorous warrior known as the knight of salami strip Strict rules guide you your every action and your work to uphold them as you strive to defend the weak and oppose evil. Generic knight description so right. far. Um, generic knight proficiencies, athletic survival, two languages, which is better. Pretty um, good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, equipment insignia of rank, which you can use to probably pull rank with guard in other cities to leverage for like somewhere to stay, stuff like that. Right. Um, excuse me a deck of cards set of clothes i hope they include that and a pouch of 10 gold okay not bad um so far pretty standard stuff right uh... features squire of salami 
You gain the Squire of Salami feat, presented later in the dock. Uh, in addition, Knights of Salami provide you free, modest lodging. Okay, so there's the uh, there's the pulling rank thing you're seeing. Right. Modest lodging and food in any of their forts. Okay, so that could be a big help, and uh, you know I'm sure you can kind of pull your rank to get your party in there as well to be able to stay. Um, yeah, because when staying usually costs like a golden night or for like like crap conditions, then this can really help save, especially when games are being run on a full currency system instead of just a gold based system. Right, right. Um, all right, building a knight of salami character. Uh, fighting, fighters and paladins make up the bulk of the knighthood's forces. Clerics with the war domain can also be found among the knight's ranks. Okay, so it's more of like a, a religious kind of zealot uh, where, where, where the uh, Templars, basically. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's going to be mainly like your, your tank, your gish characters. Yeah, um, for a more unusual take, do-do-do, uh, Bard of College of Valor, yeah, okay, or a barbarian devoted to the ideals of the nature god, uh, Habakkuk. I, I, yeah, that's that's my best guess. Um, okay, um, adventurers who dedicate them to friends. Okay, yeah, so there's the suggested characteristics, uh, personality traits, um... Let's see. Uh, knights of Salami Trinkets. When you uh, make your character, you may roll one of the Knights of Salami Trinket table instead of the trinket table in the player's handbook for your starting. Okay. Uh, so in here it adds a flat silver disc. You record your heroics upon. Okay. Uh, so basically like a, a CD recorder. Uh, that would be pretty fun. Yeah. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me pop this DVD in this little projector. I definitely don't have right show off a little that's that's a little too on the nose uh if if i'm uh putting my two cents in um a piece of fallen knight's armor okay so out of like some sort of like uh avenge arc uh, uh reminds me of warhammer 40k uh because they uh in there all of the um armor that the the adeptus astartes use is okay. all handed down from person to person. So every soldier that falls, their armor is repurposed and given to the next soldier in line. And yeah. so some of their armor uh, that they wear, you'll just see is covered in like uh, names because every Adeptus Astarte carves their name into the suit of armor once they wear it. And so you'll see some that are covered in thousands upon thousands of names. And so that's kind of what that reminds me of immediately. Um, yeah, I could definitely see that being like uh, inspired by the power of your fallen comrades, like uh, like an ancestral guardian barbarian, maybe wearing like a light armor that they've carried or that like their comrades have worn and fallen in something like that. Right, right. Um, a pendant featuring a crown, a rose, a sword or a combination of all three. OK, um, the pommel of your mentor's sword. Interesting. Um, OK. That's actually not too bad of a like a, a play on um uh kind of like homebrew like uh RP world stuff. Um Yeah. That would be an interesting like side quest is getting uh getting your own blade forged onto this pommel that you've kept with you ever since your mentor fell in battle or something as like a last memento to you. Right. And at the end of the campaign, you know, you can take on your own um uh steward or whatever and kind of pass the pommel on yeah that'd be cool um 
a meaningful favor from someone you defended, perhaps a handkerchief or glove. Awesome. Uh, that's that's kind of like that. Uh, Thanks for saving us, and here's here's my handkerchief type of deal. Yeah, a single white glove covered in rhinestones. <laughs> uh, a brass locket with the sketch of a silver dragon inside. Ooh, that's a little uh, out there from the rest of these. Um, yeah, that's um, that's surprisingly like more towards home towards the other or otherwise english is difficult tonight um no you're good this one's like hitting a lot more towards home maybe for like a, a dragonborn or like a draconic soul sorcerer maybe right right yeah i could definitely see something like that yeah all right but... let's jump down and see what this uh squire of salami feet has while we're on this yeah uh let's see where can i find that end of page five last one Oh, okay. Uh, you training in the ways of the Knights of Salami grants you these benefits. Mount up. Mounting or dismounting only costs five feet of movement. Okay. That's going to be a topic for another day, is mounted combat and how it differs so wildly from standard 5e combat. Yeah, like for sure. Because we also had the Kender, which are a small race, which means they can mount and do combat on medium-sized creatures like uh dire wolves and stuff right so even if you have like a like a familiar or something that's quadrupedal and you can cast in large reduce on it you can ride your familiar into battle as well or paladins with summon steed yeah i've actually never uh got the chance to deal with too much mounted combat uh most of the time my players only get like one type of animal and it's to pull a cart and then they just walk besides the cart. Yeah, it seems like that's the way a lot of the time it's uh, a lot of the time it's handled is mounts are mainly for like traveling around. Because if you think about it, a lot of the time that you're like dungeon delving and stuff, there's not room for a mount because your yeah. paladin in full plate on their war horse is standing well over like 14 feet tall, probably. Right. Especially if you're well, one of the bigger races. Yeah, not 14, probably 10. But still, that's going to be higher than most of your standard 7, 8-foot ceilings. If your party's Goliath has to crouch, then your warhorse is crawling if you're on the back. And that just don't, that don't work. Right. Uh, Squire maneuvers. You learn the lunging attack, precision attack, or pushing attack maneuvers from the Battlemaster subclass of the fighter in the player's handbook. If the maneuver requires a saving throw, the save equal uh, DC equals 8 plus your proficiency bonus plus your strength or dexterity modifier, your choice. Whenever you finish a long rest, you can replace the maneuver you learned from this feat with another one from the list above. Oh, that's actually really cool. Uh, getting stuff from Battlemaster as a um, a background, uh, that's that's a little kind of... It's a little much, honestly. Um, yeah, definitely feeling the power creep with this uh, this UA here. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, you're you're literally taking from what some people have to take a, a full class for, um, and just giving it out as a feat or a, a background. Um, let's see, superiority dice. Uh, you get a number. Yeah, same thing. Um, uh, we all know kind of where superiority dice fall into play here. Um, and yeah, that's that's. It's a little bit of a yikes um, being able because then it kind of just mo uh, moots the point of anyone like actually taking um, the class for uh, and choosing, you know, the, the battle master, um, because why would they when they can just take this background? 
Yeah, and by the looks of it, I'm just kind of taking a quick look around the page. It looks like it's going to get a lot worse. I'm seeing a lot of these knight-based feats are just pulling more maneuvers from Battlemaster. Oh, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it looks like this is a pretty good pick of like early game. Precision attack is always a solid choice. Um, lunging attack, not so much, because that puts you in range rather than getting you out of it. Um, however, pushing attack, 15 feet knockback on a failed strength save. That's pretty powerful at any level, even though your saving throws may not be very high. Not to mention if the environment allows it, it kind of uh, allows you to just push somebody off a cliff. Yeah, I'm imagining uh, Spartacus and 300 kicking the uh, kicking the messenger into the pit. Oh yeah, for sure. Solid, yeah, I could, solid kick. Yeah, and a solid feat just that's given to you for free with a background. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's uh, that's insane. Um, so let's head back up here and see. Uh, yep. do, do, do. Mage of high sorcery. Uh, let's scroll down so mage of high sorcery your talents for magic come to the attention of the mages of high sorcery an organization of spellcasters that study magic and prevent its misuse you've trained among the mages but whether or not you'll face the dangerous tests required to become a true member of the group remains to be determined your passion for studying magic has likely already uh, predisposed you towards one of the organization's three orders the benevolent order of the white robes the balanced pursuer pursuing order of the red robes or the ruthless order of the black robes see i feel like that should be kind of uh um those colors should be mixed around i feel like red should be ruthless um white should be the balance and benevolent might be black or something or maybe like a blue but yeah either way no i can definitely see that it's just a little uh kind of wording um skill proficiencies arcana history languages two of your choice Equipment, a bottle of colored ink, an ink pen, a set of common clothes, and a pouch containing 10 gold pieces. A bottle of colored ink. That's that's kind of cool. Um, so you don't have to always just write in black. You know, you can get, like, red ink, uh, green, blue, something like that. So that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, it, it can be very thematic to be writing in the color of your, like, robe order. Right. I, the benevolence writing in white probably wouldn't do too hot, but you could write <laughs> in, like, a, a gold or something like that. Right. Or you got like black parchment you can write in white on there. Yeah, um, that would be a, a good trip. Yeah. Um, feature, innate of high sorcery. You gain the innate of high sorcery feat presented later in this document. In addition, the mages of high sorcery provide you with free modest lodging. Okay, same thing with the uh, the knight. Um, yeah, the idea of pulling rank, and we'll look at this initiate of high sorcery feat in a little bit. Yeah, so let's take a look here. Uh, magic at high sorcering. Uh, magic at high sorcery. Shrewd. Um, End of page four. Uh, dragon lines. Uh, all right. Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, innate of high sorcery. Okay, I see it now. Um, you receive training from magic users affiliated with the mages of high sorcery. Choose one of three moons of Kern to influence your magic. The black moon. Uh, I'm not even going to pronounce that. The Red Moon, uh, not going to pronounce that either. Or the White Moon, um, if you want to give a go at pronouncing this by all means. Um, sure. The Black Moon would be Nuatari, the Red Moon Lunatari, or the White Moon Solanari, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to make any comment on the first one, but uh, yeah. 
Nice. Uh, you learn one cantrip of your choice from the wizard spell list and two first level spells based on the moon you choose, um, as specified in the lunar spells table. Okay, a lot to unpack here. Um, so Ooh, boy. the first one is a cantrip of your choice from the wizard spell list. That's pretty good. Um, the first one comes to mind for uh, uh, upfront fighters is uh, green flame blade. Um, yep, it's always a staple to have on a gish of any kind. Right, the extra damage is always welcome. Um, of course, I'm a sucker for shape water, so I would almost always take that. Shape water. Uh, however, however, I could see like firebolt on your fighter or something for maybe there's like a a 200 foot battlefield or something, and it's armies approaching. Your fighter, he can really only just like run his 30 action dash another 30. Right, but. This he could run his thirty, and then when someone comes in range, he could fire bolts and be dealing damage on his way in. Right, right. Um. All right, and let's take a look at the uh, moon base spells here, um, which is I think listed higher up, if I'm not mistaken. Up beginning of next page, actually. Oh. Uh. Do, do, do. So the uh, let's just call oh. them by the moons, the black moon spells. Are you choose two spells from Dissonant Whispers, False Life, Hex, and Ray of Sickness? So immediately, I'm I'm seeing Gish again. So you're taking Green Flame Blade, Green Flame Blade for your Cantrip, and then take False Life for your Temp HP and Hex for your reliable increase to DPR. Yeah. Um, um. Let's see. The Red Moon spells are choose two from Color Spray, Disguise Self, Featherfall, and Longstrider. These ones hit me more as like a kind of RP moments or maybe like um, kind of uh, espionage kind of hit and run tactics. Not really much in the way of like uh, like upfront fighting or any type of like um, real combat sense. But these are kind of more like situational um, yeah. instances. Yeah, I could... I could see this being fun on like a, a mobility based rogue who packs disguise self for like getting in and then long strider, which if you're booking it, your action bonus action and full movement. So you're gaining 30 feet per round from long strider alone. Right. So that would yep. definitely help. Uh, and then the final moon uh, gives you comprehend languages, detect evil and good protection from evil, good and shield. Right off the bat, um, comprehend languages and shield are both really good if you utilize the languages in your campaign. Yeah, protection um, from evil and good is fairly good as well. However, the status effects that it resists are really niche. So if you're facing things like fears, um, let's see, or charms as well. If you're facing stuff like that early, maybe you're in like a Feywild setting, then I could see this being very helpful. But otherwise, I would agree with uh, Comprehend Languages and Shield. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So good spells. I mean, especially uh, the first one there is probably my probably go-to pick. Um, but, you know, having Shield is actually not bad either, especially for a non-innate spellcaster um who uh kind of takes this let me re uh emphasize this as a background not as a class yeah just it's free basically you're sacrificing your flexibility for 
maybe like getting a, a map of city streets or like a familiarity with the crime underworld or something which could be good in its own game but you're sacrificing that to gain first level spells a second level spell if you go with the um uh what was that this the divine uh divinely favored the first level bonus feat yep like you're gaining so much just from giving up these menial backgrounds at most right and you know i I guess from my standpoint what i always thought backgrounds were were this kind of like thing that really didn't matter too much yeah it was a nice couple of uh additional proficiencies you know a little bit of this a little bit of that but it wasn't like a, a meaty uh kind of anything there so um you know there was not really much to it so i didn't really kind of give it the the, the full thought of kind of picking a background i just pick something and i'm like yeah it gives me more languages so that way i can understand more people sure cool um but now it's like yeah here's a spell slot here's a, a couple feats and it's like holy shit yeah, I always ended up just going with like the criminal background or something because it gave me deception and stealth, and I never ended up using the the criminal speciality or anything that allowed me to, uh, or the contact that you get with the feet. I just used it for skills, but now we're getting spells, we're getting free lodging, which the soldier already got, but it was kind of nerfed because they got low gold and like no skills that were useful. Right. And so now we can look at the uh, kind of feats here um, below. And these, I believe, are just uh, feats that are added in that you can choose at your um, uh, normal kind of level up spots of, I think, fourth level. Uh, what is it? Eighth? I, classes differ depending on, because uh, I think, or are they all the same? I think they're all the same. No, a fighter is the one that stands out. Um, you can take the feats that we're going to be talking about. These also qualify for your fourth level free feat. Really? Um, okay. These are the right. adepts and the knight feats that are listed there. Right, right. Um, okay, I do see that now. Um, but yeah, I believe your feat spread on classes disregarding fighter would be 4, 8, 12, 16, 19. Okay. Um, so, you know, get a chance to get these, but out of that as a background you can also choose these feats as we go through them um so uh let's see let's start with uh the top one here um a depth of the black robes uh you choose the moon um nutari to influence your magic and your ambitions and loyalty to the order of the black robes and recognize uh, granting these benefits you learn one second level spell of your choice the second level spell must be from the uh, in enchantment or necromancy school of magic you can cast this feat second level spell without a spell slot you must finish a long rest before you can cast it in this way again you can also cast a spell using spell slots you have uh, of the appropriate level the spell spell casting ability is uh, the one chosen when you gain the initiative high sorcery feat and then life channel comes with this as well you can channel your life force into the power of your magic when a creature you see within 60 feet of you fails to save and throw against a spell that deals damage that you cast. You can expend a number of hit dice equal to the level of the spell. Roll the expended hit dice and add them together. The damage that creature takes increases by the amount equal. That is insane. That is insane. Um, To be able to take your hit dice that you may or may not wind up using because a lot of games now it's 
kind of, yes, you may have probably two encounters before a long rest. A lot of times you can get away without having a short rest to regain hit points. So if your team is doing really good at keeping your wizard from taking damage or your kind of backline um, person from taking damage and they have this, uh, you're he's basically golden to use those as extra damage. Yeah, I could definitely see this being really good for um, like Nova type builds, especially just like blasters, like um, Draconic Soul Sorcerers come to mind. We're just spamming Fireball. Um, it does say when a creature fails, so it's not adding these dice on top of the entire spell's damage for an AoE. It's more a fuck you in particular than a to whom it may concern. However, if you're targeting the boss with something, um, it do, it can't be something like whole person because it does specify you have to deal damage with the spell, but something like a, a Tasha's Mind Whip, which is something I'd choose with that Ambitious Magic uh, second level spell, you can be adding on your hit dice. Uh, you can add two hit dice for that alone which if you're looking at a wizard that's only going to be a d6 but because you can bring this on a fighter too um you can or even a barbarian you can stack up to like a d12 of damage but imagine right you take a tiefling race right with burning hands and garrett so it's guaranteed at least half damage uh you take a tiefling with burning hands you bring them in here, or even a Dragonborn with their Breath Weapon, are both kind of, um, I don't know, maybe not Breath Weapon, that might be more of a kind of gray area, but definitely Burning Hands, because that's a spell, and you have them casting Burning Hands, they have to make a, a, a save for it, which means that you could use your life channel to dump all your dice into it. So say your fighter's good with healing potions, and they're just popping their healing potions, and they're a tiefling and they have this background uh and this feat at fourth level they're dropping what four hit dice on top of uh their burning hands whatever level they cast it and even halved that's still pretty dang good especially with the fighters what is it one d10 yes fighters are a d10 hit die yeah uh ridiculous that is uh utterly ridiculous or you know even your barbarians one d12 uh just coming in here and adding all of those onto your burning hands um second level spell right off yeah, the bat at fourth level yeah i think i like the way that i'm seeing wizards starting or wizards of the coast rather starting to incorporate hit dice into characters as resources that you can expend in your character not just as like healing components outside of battle oh yeah no that's that's awesome it's awesome that they're bringing it in but maybe kind of uh tweak it just a little bit because that is super super powerful because you basically just almost like supercharge um this and what comes to mind is the uh uh what's it called the meta magic i think yes um, spell probably yeah where you can kind of um do stuff like this where you kind of um either extend the duration or kind of up the up the damage stuff like that um you know and kind of um add stuff to it but yeah i mean it's it's a cool thought at the very least, maybe a little bit of tweaking is needed, but other than that, uh, it's it's really cool. Yeah, and I definitely agree that Life Channel is strong, but looking back at ambish or Ambitious Magic, Necromancy doesn't really bring much, but the Enchantment spell list at second level is extremely strong. 
especially for being able to cast without a spell slot. Oh, uh, the three yes. things that come to mind for me are Bold Person, Tasha's Mind Whip, and Zone of Truth, all of which are enchantment spells, and you can get this one time use a day for free. Bold Person, we know is incredibly strong. That's a paralysis on a failed save. Um, they can remake the save uh, at the end of their turn, but Tasha's Mind Whip, I think, is something that a lot of people have slept on, where if you... Uh, if you actually hit, if they fail their saving throw, which means you could stack on your uh, your life channel, then they get uh, either an action or a bonus action or movement. They have to choose one of the three. So right, you tap right. them with that, you move back 10 feet, and they can no longer hit you for the next round, basically. Yeah, I, I totally glossed over the fact that it must be from the Enchantment or Necromancy School. So yes, that does kind of help mitigate the uh the the damage dealt there um and what you can do because um you know deck space saves are kind of uh, always damage is taken but uh unless you're a rogue uh you know it's it's can be mitigated with a save but yeah no for sure um yeah i can see this being uh uh now that i look at it with uh enchantment or uh necromancy it, it could be a very nice addition early on um do 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 uh but imagine you can uh you get life channel at like level 10 and stuff like that and you have it with your 10 hit dice you just power up a second level spell to a you know fifth or sixth level spell slot basically in terms of damage yeah that's definitely gonna be um i'm interested to see how people optimize with multi-classing between maybe like uh a fighter eldritch knight or like a, a fighter purple dragon knight for right those who remember that class um, yeah with their half casting abilities and bringing in like a, a circuit in or something like that where they have the d10 hit dice from paladin to expend with this life channel because it doesn't specify what class those dice have to come from right uh, let's move on to, uh, Adept of the Red Robes here and take a look at this one. Insightful Magic, you learn one second level spell of your choice, so basically the same outline with, uh, Illusion and Transmutation schools of magic, but the difference, instead of Life Channel, they get Magic Balance. When you make an attack roll or an ability check and roll a 9 or lower on the d20, you can balance the fate and treat the roll as a 10. That's pretty good. Uh, you can balance fate in this way a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. So I've always thought that that was like a, always a cool thing um, to have, but there was always something a little bit better that I'd fill my um, um, uh, feet with uh, or something else because I did see this on something else. I think it's for um, uh, something to do with the fighters, like uh, two-weapon uh, fighting or great weapon mastery or something along the lines where uh, basically when you roll... Um, something low you can re-roll the uh the damage dice but there was also another one where you can uh take the nine or lower and treat it as a 10 that if memory serves that would be clockwork soul sorcerer yeah that might be it um as far as the spells that it gives um illusion immediately jumps out you've got things like blur you have things like mirror image for mirror image i love mirror image i use it all the time on my rogue Yep, you have Invisibility, another good one. You have Silence, yep. which is surprisingly underrated, albeit that one has 
higher chance of alerting people because if two guards are uh, talking about like the finest wenches in the land in the other room and you cast silence while you're trying to steal stuff, they're going to notice they can't talk to each other. Right. But transmutation also has spike growth, which is very fun when combined with plant growth because their uh, movement hindrances stack. And I believe have... one of those you can actually light on fire for an extra 2d4 damage or 2d6, something like that. Uh, that would be plant growth. Yep. And then you have rope trick, which is an hour duration as well. So that's to keep in mind. You can short rest up inside your rope trick. Uh, and back on the other page, we have dark vision, which is always good. Heat metal, which is surprisingly good early game against those uh, those plate mail and shield 21 AC bandits like and fighters. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you've got a solid list here, and you get to pick one of these spells that you can cast just for free once a day. Right. So since, honestly, since heat metal doesn't require a saving throw, as long as they can't get rid of whatever it is you're heating, that would be my pick on the majority of characters, especially fighters just looking for a little bit of extra damage. Right, and you know, you're a frontline fighter, uh, having mirror image at the disposal is also really good because, you know, it gives you those extra chances to kind of uh, tank a lot more of the big bad's uh, damage without taking any actual real damage. Um, all right, uh, moving on to uh, Adept of the White Robes here. Uh, protective Magic, so you get your abjuration and divination schools uh and then instead of life channel and magic balance you get protective ward when you or a creature you can see within 30 feet of you takes damage you can use your reaction to expend a spell slot and weave protective magic around the target roll a number of d6 equal to the level of the spell slot expended and reduce the damage the target takes by the total rolled on the dice plus your spell casting ability modifier that's really cool uh i'm trying to think what uh what class allows you to do that as well? Because I... That's the Abjuration School Wizard. Okay, yep, yeah. All right. Yeah, because I remember uh, someone uh, in one of my sessions doing that. They kind of negated some of the damage that was taken because they, I think they casted something or they used something. Yeah, there's a very fun... Well, I say fun. There's a very powerful... Um, I believe it's the Mark of Finding Gnome and the abjuration wizard where they can uh cast at will i believe it's non-detection which is an abjuration spell that allows them to refill their essentially a pool of temporary hp that they can grant to other people their arcane ward yes yeah that's that's actually really cool yeah um and the spell list abjuration divination We've already talked about Augury being quite strong, and you probably already have gotten that from your first level if you didn't right. take tough. You can also pick up Aid, which gives three creatures in range five HP on their temp or on their max HP for eight hours. So a whole adventuring day of just plus five HP for three people. Yep. Really um, good. One of the things that's stand out that I I love this spell and I never can find a way to take it. Pass without trace. A oh, plus ten to stealth it. for your entire party. I uh, I actually uh, have uh, I think it's uh, in my Silver Dawn campaign. Percy, uh, the rogue, he's uh, actually part druid, and he has pass without a trace. And uh, you know, 
for as many times as I've uh, run this campaign for other groups, um, every time I kind of bring Percy in to help them out with a pass without the trace whenever they want to sneak into town and get more information, um, at least early game, so that way they can kind of get a chance versus, you know, their uh, clanky uh, paladin, uh, you know, just running in in full plate and uh, destroying their sneak uh, attempts. Yeah, I feel like that's also something that it kind of slows down how a party can really do their adventuring. Um, for instance, our game where we're running uh, Silver Dawn and we have our paladin fire um, Austin. And then I'm playing the rogue draw cab where I'm always sent into town first and then have to scout out. It seems like that really slows down and like, kind of grinds the game to a halt because then you're only interacting like we have to take the time to go through this one-on-one -on -one right. while everyone else is just sitting on the sidelines it kind of breaks the immersion bringing pass without trace really helps like involve the entire group because even if your paladin is minus one to stealth with disadvantage because of their full plate you can still bring that up to a plus nine they still have disadvantage but i mean the lowest they can roll is a 10 at that point right um but yeah that's that's still pretty good uh for a additional feat uh let's see you got the innate of high sorcery here um let's see yep. uh da, da, da. the knight of the crown is next uh yep there it is i see it yep. you are a knight of salami aligned with the order of the crown a group that extols the virtues of cooperation loyalty and obedience you excel in group combat and gain these benefits your strength or dexterity score by one okay you learn the distracting strike or goading attack yeah goading attacks another taunt basically it's gotcha. the um the on a failed save they have disadvantage against other targets okay so most of these are kind of uh, ability score increase uh and maneuvers with your superiority dice for the kind of knights and the uh the, the stuff like that the squire yeah i see all that knights of the rose <laughs> Yeah, here's the thing, is it ups your uh, superiority dice to D8s, too. If I remember right, is that not like a, a 12th level feature for Battlemaster? Ooh, that That's... might be, actually. Yeah, I believe they start out at D6s, right? Um... Yeah, and not only that, you gain two more superiority dice to add. So, uh, it... so you have your proficiency bonus superiority dice from Squire's Salami, which you have to take a as a prerequisite. So you have go ahead, sorry. Uh yeah, I'm no, sorry. Uh so the battle master then would probably benefit quite a bit from taking some of these feats, um, or taking this background if it's allowed and kind of gaining these and it kind of I feel like maybe that's what Wizards of the Coast intention was because maybe not too many people play Battle Master because it's a kind of a daunting like learning the maneuvers and making sure you know how to implement them correctly. But uh this kind of gives them more play to kind of mess around and yeah, they might mess up, but they've got extra superiority dice with this. They get uh uh additional uh maneuvers um that they might not have chosen initially. Um so this could be really good for uh, the Battlemaster kind of class if it chooses to go that route. Yeah, I'm just uh, I'm actually just looking at the the Battlemaster maneuvers or the Battlemaster class actually here. It looks like they actually do learn quite a bit of uh, maneuvers. They have three to start with and they gain six over their levels. So you got nine by the end, but their superiority dice, they start with four and they get one more at seventh and one more at 15th. 
So you get six total from the Battlemaster class. But from these feats here that we're looking at that you get for free, mind you, you're getting your proficiency bonus, which goes up to six, and you're getting two more from that follow-up feat. So you're gaining eight superiority dice. Now, two more than the actual class gets. Imagine that you take the uh, human variant, right? And you decide to go with the Battlemaster class. And even if you don't get a background, right off the bat, you get this feat with the Battlemaster class. Instantly, all of your D4s are turned to D8s, and you get six of them right from level one. Uh, unfortunately, that oh, doesn't work. Yeah, because of the yep. fourth. Okay. That would be very fun, though. I could see that for like a a custom game where you're looking for power builds and you remove prerequisites for like multi-classing feats, um, even some spells. Yeah, because uh, I think me and you were talking about building a little campaign kind of like that where, uh, you know, there was no real uh, kind of choice there um, on terms of uh, what you had to go for, uh, kind of being a limited list, but instead... Uh, uh, and instead, you get to uh, kind of choose uh, from any second level class and kind of build your character. Yeah, we'll have to dedicate uh, an episode or maybe like a little special to going over that idea and like theory crafting a little bit on that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, even at fourth level, I mean, jumping from, you know, your D6s to D8s and six of them, that's that's insane. That's uh, a lot of extra added on to your battle master. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's get to Knight of the Sword. Um, they're devoted to heroism and courage. Bravery steals your spirits, granting you benefits. You get to increase one of your uh, mental stats in Wizka up to uh, max of twenty by one. You learn maneuvering or menacing. So either you move, I believe maneuvering. Do do do. Um. You can allow an ally to move up to half its speed without provoking opportunity attacks, and menacing is uh, a saving throw, or else they're frightened. Right. That's so pretty good. Um, yeah, it's either moving your enemies or moving your allies, is what it sounds like. All dice are not D8s, so same there for the superiority dice. That's still really good. Um, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Knights of the Rose. Uh, let's see what they've got. Uh, you learn the Commander Strike or the Rally Maneuver from Battlemaster Subclass of the Fighter. Uh, you can place your maneuver. Uh, and then you gain two superiority dice, and all dice are now D8s. So, uh, I'm actually not super familiar with the Battlemaster class subclass. Uh, if I'm being honest, so I really don't know what much of these maneuvers do. Oh, good. Um. um so rally is the easier one to explain uh you can use a bonus action and expend your superiority die and you the creature that you target a friendly uh, it gains temp hp equal to your superiority die roll plus your charisma okay that's really um, good so it's just a little bit of defense commander's strike though this is one that i feel kind of gets overshadowed especially if you have a rogue in the party uh, when you take an attack action on your turn, you can forego an attack and use a bonus action. So you're expending an attack and a bonus action to do this. And you can direct one of your allies to strike. So if one of your allies can see or hear you, that's a prerequisite, they can immediately use their reaction to make a weapon attack and add your superiority die to their roll. Now, with a rogue, 
they can only sneak attack once per turn, not per round. So if they can use their reaction to attack, they can add their sneak attack to that, which is effectively effectively doubling their damage for that round. So if you have like a a 20th level rogue or something, when they're adding like 10d6 for their sneak attack or something ridiculous like that, um, and you can give them an extra attack, an extra chance to proc that sneak attack dice, that's oh, yeah. huge for them too. Oh yeah, you maximize the uh, potential of your rogue kind of dishing out that damage. Yeah, sometimes the best move is waving your move to give it to someone else. Right, you know, and that that's a cool feature to to have, you know, is the ability to kind of realize what we need right now is to take this guy out and he's got a little bit of health left, but I know that my damage isn't going to be enough to take him out, so you kind of um at fourth level you get your rogue to do it which has probably I think 2d6 at this point probably yeah. for sneak attack. Um, plus their 1d8 if they uh, optimized for the rapier um, and, uh, you know, deal that. Or even if you have a ranged rogue with a, a longbow and their 1d8 uh, damage there plus their 2d6 sneak attack damage as long as an ally is within five feet of the enemy, um, you know, you're you're golden. Could you imagine sitting... Uh, <laughs> your two frontline fighters are the ones actually sitting in the back. One of them's just giving the command uh, uh, strike to his uh, buddy, and he's just dealing out uh, two instances of sneak attack damage every round. Yeah, actually, I'm kind of picturing this. Something I've never really understood is why the Battlemaster maneuvers are limited to just fighters. Because it seems like the, the Battlemaster should be a, a strategist in the back line instead of, like, up in the fight you can't observe a fight from inside the fight that yeah and that's kind of uh you know on our friday sessions what i said to um the group when gage passed on and um everyone was looking for a new leader is you I, it definitely can't be vol vol's a assassin and he's gonna always be up in the front lines kind of trying to deal damage um unless i optimize him to go the route of range um but yeah, no, I mean, with this, you if you take this feat, um, whether it's for just the background or, uh, you know, you just take it at your fourth level, um, you know, that, that could be really, really good for, you know, imagine your, uh, instead of uh, your wizard or your druid, uh, they take this feat, and now all of a sudden, you don't have to have your fighter give up his, uh, his, his, turn of attack and kind of holding people in place you can have your druid who kind of may or may not um you know be doing other things casting spells same thing with your wizard uh or your bard and they can use this to uh you know um find a way to uh more or less um just kind of maximize your rogue in the party or even your your normal fight frontline fighter who might have uh some additional damage to deal out or a paladin even yeah i think i do have a little bit of a uh, a little bit of beef with it as it uh is very resource heavy requiring an action for you to take the attack action your bonus action and a superiority die so if you had this on like a sorcerer or something and you took a two level dip in fighter which i strongly recommend on most characters you could uh commanders strike your rogue to allow them to strike and action surge and cast a, a leveled spell on top of that um, right 
just being able to sit in the back it seems like that would be better for a caster to be able to do um because if you're playing like a uh an arcane archer or something they require bonus actions a rogue fighter archer that like has one or two attacks they use their bonus action for steady aim um casters are really some of the only people that don't optimize for their bonus action as well because of the conflict between leveled spells as a bonus action and only cantrips as an action right so, and i know a lot of people when playing spell casters um early level at least uh they're kind of very um i don't want to say stingy with their spell usage of uh anything above uh anything at first level or above but they're very um cautious about using their spells so this could also be good uh, excuse me good be uh because you know if they don't want to expend their spell slot yet because they're not really sure how the fight's going they can just take their turn and instead of saying oh, i'm just gonna hold my action or this or that they can be like all right uh, i'm just gonna command him to strike him again and we'll move on from there so i can see where it could be played into and used well um if uh you're smart about it um but yes i do agree that it is kind of resource heavy on that end um i would think that um It'd be nice to have if, uh, so, you know, maybe uh, be able to choose, perhaps, maybe expending two superiority dice instead of just one and then being able to still use your action. That'd be kind of nice, uh, you know, having that option there um, to kind of move around where it takes from. Right. Um, or even just picking one of the other follow-up feats to get different maneuvers. Um or even picking up the feet fighting initiate. I believe that's the one. There's two fighting initiate type feats. One gives you a fighting style. The other one gives you a battle master maneuver and an extra superiority die. So if right. you pick up that one, you can use the superiority die on one of any uh, battle master feet. So if you take variant human or even not, if you take a regular race, then first level you gain the bonus feat um the squire of salami and then at fourth level you gain the bonus feat knight of the xyz and your asi you can take the fighting initiate feat right i can i can see how this would be broken with uh ball currently in the uh, campaign we're running on friday just because of the fact that if i took this feat and i had the command strike um what I would use it for is so when I would hit and I get a critical, you know, my Valtralia allows me to give somebody else a critical. So what I do is uh, action surge at that point and then uh, expend my action surge action, my bonus action, and use the command strike, give it to somebody else, and then they would instantly be able to hit with their crit. Right, and especially if there's like a one round effect or something, like if you can stack a like a branding smite or a wrathful smite or something, that gives like a one turn disadvantage. That maybe the boss is up next or something, and he's about to be refreshed and cast like shield of faith or shield of faith shield, right. uh, mage armor or something like that. You want to hit him while he's down. Right, and kind of just uh, deal as much damage basically before your guys' next round of turn. And that's that's kind of what I always, uh, that's the strategy I always play out is how can I maximize the amount of damage, you know, my team could do in one round before we get to his next turn because, you know, 
every boss turn is is a whole new ball game so you got to rethink re-strategize replan because things change just like that with uh legendary actions layer actions and everything else that a, a boss might have but yeah um that's pretty much most of stuff from uh heroes of kern uh honestly the uh if you were to just take uh, out the kind of dragonlance backgrounds um the uh feats themselves pretty solid uh i actually do uh enjoy the looks of a lot of them you know they they look like well-rounded feats something that you would find in the list um you know some stuff that uh, you know not super uh inertly overpowered or anything like that but enough to kind of make it worth taking the feat um however uh the backgrounds if you do use them it is a uh a very very overpowered circumstance yes i definitely agree that the backgrounds are overpowered and i agree that the the feats are just like generally strong not overpowered except in the case of divinely favored yeah when yeah. you start fucking with which spell lists use which ability score you run into problems right quick yeah. wizards aren't meant to heal you give them a cure wounds or a healing word that scales off their intelligence you have a wizard with very little like recourse in his choice of spells oh because yeah. now they have the ability to bonus action pick someone up off the ground and still cantrip as their action yeah you yeah, this is not good. If you pick a spell and it's from a cleric spell list or a druid spell list, it needs to stay wisdom. You need to be punished for trying to go between archetypes for your caster. Right. Um, you know, you, you got to have that kind of balance in there because, you know, and, and uh, adversely, you know, you, you spec your class to go with or your uh, abilities to go with your class. So when uh, it comes time to... Um, you know, get something outside of your realm of uh, what you use. The the ability to use your highest stat available is insane. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, but I think that does wrap it up for tonight. Um, I'd like to thank you guys for listening in. Um, this has been Tiefling Talks with Gage and Brock. Um, follow us on YouTube. Like us on Spotify. Uh, all wherever the... you guys are getting your podcasts right basically. and uh don't be afraid to check me out on start playing all the links are usually in the description i'm not sure how it passes them out but should be down there um and uh yeah thanks for stopping by and saying hi guys uh we'll see you next week for some uh more tiefling talks yep bird says bye as well